are good. It's tea time. It's me, Cindy. I found a new tea this week. It's orange cinnamon spice. Sounds good, right? Not quite as good as it sounded, but it's okay. Tea is one of the markers for me of the change of seasons. It's less expensive than having to turn on the furnace. It's more comforting than switching over to winter clothes. Not that I mind being done with that summer wardrobe for the next cluster of months. Man, I'm sick of everything I've been wearing since May. But tea is great. I'm happy to return to the toasty, soul-warming tradition of the chillier months. My blue glass mug is out. It's rarely going to be empty till the weather warms up again. As a result, I have about 12 types of tea, or well over a dozen, starting with the standard black and all its incarnations, Earl Grey, English Breakfast, Constant Comment, PJ Tibbs, which I have with milk and sometimes if I'm feeling a little crazy, some sugar. But I also have favorites which I highly recommend, like Bigelow's Lemon Lift, There are a couple different varieties of chai. There's a new one called Three Cinnamon, which does live up to the expectation. Then there's apple tea, which is a Turkish tea, and it's delicious. Then there's plantation mint, green tea with mint, peppermint, nana tea, which I'm seeing now a pattern here. Nana is also a mint tea. I even have a chocolate mint. It's leaves that I bought at a little tea shop because it sounded too fabulous and it smelled so wonderful, but it doesn't taste so hot. And then there's a red rubios and pumpkin spice. I thank my neighbor Claude for that one. Word got out apparently that I'm a fan of the pumpkin spice thing. Anyway, I like tea a lot. And it's interesting to me that being a person who always has a really hard time making decisions, choosing tea is never a problem. I walk into the kitchen half the time already knowing it's going to be the spiced chai or the PJ tips. I'm not like that at a restaurant or TJ Maxx or planning my day or deciding what route to take to the library. Crazy, right? My daughter Megan, long plagued with waiting for me to pick something, anything, mom, just make a decision, gave me a book she had read that both explains why it can be such a challenge for me and my mother. By the way, I didn't get this from the moon and how to get better at making choices. So here's how it goes when my mom and I go to a restaurant. The waiter comes over to the table, hands the menu over, and asks if we'd like something to drink while we look it over. Mom, oh, um, maybe me. Uh, Like two deer in the headlights or two women under pressure, we opt to just have our water for now, thank you. The waiter goes away. The ordeal begins. The bigger the menu, the harder this is going to be. The waiter comes back. Are you ready to order? Bambi and mom, blank stare, blinking. Not quite yet. Waiter at this point usually makes the mistake of saying something like, take your time. Bad move, waiter. We are not the people you want to give this permission to. We scan the menu, out loud sometimes, pointing out options to the other that we've both already seen for ourselves. It's either an attempt to help or just hope that something jumps out as the perfect choice. We pick and reject pick and reject another couple. Five or ten minutes goes by until finally, in near panic, we both zoom in on something as the waiter returns and is starting to show signs of cracking. We order, but usually one or both of us will change part or all of our order before the waiter walks away, shaking his or her head. Although I console myself, this is probably not as rare as the waiter would like it to be. And while the waiter doesn't know it at the time, we are good tippers. Partly out of guilt, we feel we need to make up for the aggravation factor, and partly because if you've ever worked in food service, and I have, you just do it. So back to this book. I don't remember the name of it. Of course, I don't remember the name, but I do remember the key points. A little side note here. It's funny how sometimes an entire book boils down to a simple paragraph. 
a couple of key points, one solitary idea. But the author's not going to make any money unless he expands it to fill a couple of hundred pages, so you sort of have to look for the needle in the haystack. Anyway, here's what I learned about making decisions. The biggest thing was this. The more choices there are, the harder it is to make a decision. If it's the red one or the blue one, it's easy, but you got to pick from three dozen colors and suddenly you're in a gray area, if you know what I mean. You notice that with toddlers. When you go, honey, what would you like for lunch? Would you like the peanut butter or the bologna or a nice ham sandwich or some cheese and crackers? By this point, their brains are exploding. Stick to like, how about peanut butter and jelly for lunch, honey? Unless they hate peanut butter and jelly, you're going to sidestep a lot of time. In most cases, any decision boils down to simply being a personal choice. It pays to remember this. As in, what are you going to order from the menu? Only in rare instances is the choice going to be crucial to your health or happiness. I can't even think of any instances. That's how rare they are. That being said, also good to know that in most cases, there is no wrong or right decision. That alone takes the pressure off when you think about it. If you order the chicken cordon bleu and it's not the best meal you ever had, it's probably still good enough. However, that being said, if it isn't good at all, send it back if it's bad, really. I do that. If you buy the blue shirt instead of any of the other colors and then you decide you don't like the blue shirt, you can usually return it. I have to say this is 100% why I don't shop at places that have a no returns policy. That alone can make me break out in a sweat. Or really, you could just flip a coin. You could shut your eyes and point to something. You could give yourself a time limit. I think that's really good. Like two minutes? In order to avoid the open-ended torture of having to make the very best decision, there is usually not one very best. Mostly, they're all good enough. And sometimes just getting beyond picking one has its own reward. <sighs> beyond ordering a restaurant or picking out what movie to see, almost all decisions are reversible. But what about big decisions? You know, like buying a house, moving across the country, getting married, quitting your job, starting a new job. Well, they're reversible too, to a certain extent, but not as easy as like, you know, returning a shirt you don't like. Here are a couple of suggestions to help you sort out those big decisions. The first idea is to pretend you're advising your friend. That makes sense because you figure our emotions can really cloud judgment and we lose our objectivity completely. But when a friend says to you, what should I do? It's always so clear, right? So think about how easy it is to help a friend weigh pros and cons and work out a decision and then just pretend you're your friend. <laughs> you know what I mean. Then there's this one. Do not take in too much information. That's definitely going to jimmy up the works. You want to make a clear decision? It would seem logical the more information you have, the better a decision you can make. But at some point, there is information overload. It makes us add significance to some of the bits of information that really don't matter. So if you've done too much research, you've passed the point of educated decision. You've moved on to the too much info category. If you've asked advice of a lot of friends and they've each given you different opinions, that's a little crazy making. You're making the decision process more difficult. So try to boil down the key factors that you have to consider and stick to those. For those who are visual learners, or even if it's just going to help you see what you're weighing, try a chart, a list, a spreadsheet is one of the best ways to make a better decision. A simple spreadsheet filled with the pros and cons, uh, the different factors that weigh in, will help give you a big picture of that decision. 
This is what I did when I was booking our very first cruise. I know it could be my only cruise ever, and I sure didn't want to blow having the best possible experience. My spreadsheet had like cabin size and ship amenities and how many swimming pools and what ports and what the prices were. It really worked well for me. And as a result, we picked a great ship, we had a beautiful experience, and it wound up being the first of many cruises. Now, I know I just dominate the conversation. I don't mean to, but you're real quiet. You can add your two cents. You don't even have to speak out loud. You could leave a voice message if you're listening through the Anchor app. Or you can email me at Smee Cindy. It's me, Cindy was taken. So Smee, S-M-E-E, Cindy at gmail.com. I did get this message from Pam. I was talking about how I went to the store in my yoga clothes, felt all, you know, overexposed. I asked if anybody else would have felt that way. And, you know, am I the only one feeling so self-conscious? Anyway, here's what Pam said. Hi, Cindy. I'm leaving you a message. This is Pam. Oh, I almost said period, like I'm talk texting, but I'm not. So I heard your latest podcast. I think I would have stayed in the car if I was dressed for yoga, but I know what you mean, period. Oh, don't say period. (laughs) Anyway, I usually have a sweatshirt in my car, probably would have tied that around my waist uh, if possible, but I understand what you're saying. And that's it. All right. Uh, Looking forward to the next one. Bye. (laughs) That really cracked me up. really cracked me up. I do the same thing all the time, period. Robin sent over an email after hearing about my adventures in yoga. Uh, She said, quote, listen, if you like yoga, I follow a yoga workout on YouTube called Heart Alchemy Yoga, and it's free and it's awesome. I guess I've been doing yoga regularly for almost a year. I like doing power yoga. I feel stronger and healthier afterwards. I usually do yoga after work to de-stress. I don't think of yoga as a de-stressor. For me, the whole point is to stretch my muscles, to have a little bit of physical fitness without having to break a sweat or work too hard. You know, I've said it before. I'm a lazy girl. Plus, yoga is really relaxing, and it makes me feel like I'm doing something good for myself. Almost as easy as couch time with a package of Oreos and a glass of milk, but a little more beneficial. I can have cookies later. I remember gym class in high school, and we had to do this fitness test once a year. How many sit-ups, push-ups, chin-ups, leg lifts, and whatever else we could do in a minute. My score would have been great if it was golf, but in terms of ranking my fitness, not so good. Yet, I've always been okay with that. I was at the dog park with Ruby last week, and on the path from the parking lot, there are these little fitness stations for people who are there to, you know, get fit on their walk. Each one has an activity. One is like, you know, stretch your calves. One is jog in place. But the one that I stopped at had a bar to do chin-ups. Like that high school fitness test, it challenged me to see how many chin-ups could I do in a minute? Really, it could have just asked whether I could do even one. I'm not even sure how I sucked myself into this, but I grabbed the bar optimistically with my two little hands and I pulled and I, and I pulled. Nothing. Couldn't even get my toes off the ground. <laughs> I'm just glad nobody had a cell phone to film me. So, in light of my colossal non-fitness regime and my lifelong disinterest in pushing myself to any sort of physical limit, I found it hilarious and ironic that there is a CrossFit workout in which a person does a series of pull-ups, push-ups, and squats in as many rounds as possible over a 20-minute period. It's called the Cindy. It reportedly burns an average of 13 calories a minute for a total of 260 calories in 20 minutes. I mean, is that even worth it? I have my own workout. I'm calling it the better, Cindy. You can do it too. Stretch out on the couch. Eat as many Oreos as you can in 20 minutes. 
I don't know how many calories it's burning off or how many calories it's adding on, but like the name says, unless you're a fan of pushing your physical limits, this one is just better. Oh, before I go, I just saw A Star is Born. I know it's been out for a while, but I'm willing to wait to avoid crowds or bad movie theater seats. Have you seen it? Have you seen any of the other versions? There are, in case you don't know, three others. So it's not that the plot came as a surprise to me, but the surprise was the trailer really made me want to see it. I gotta say, I think Lady Gaga's a bundle of talent. And if you're a woman with a pulse, you like Bradley Cooper. They did a significant scene a little differently than the others, which changed the way the ending played out. But still, we're seeing. That's my review. Oh, and I really liked a lot of the music. Did you see it? Have you seen or read anything else good lately? I'm always looking for a good movie or a TV show or a book. Not to repeat myself, but what the heck. Feel free to email me at smee, Cindy, S-M-E-E, Cindy, at gmail.com, or leave a voicemail through the Anchor app. Come on, you could do it. Oh, listen, I got to go grab some Oreos and do my workout now. I'll talk to you later.